morning, good morning, good morning. A little CCR, Bad Moon Rising, kicking things off for us on SCI's Lone Star Outdoors show, presented by Mossberg Firearms. Cable Smith here with you as always. Hope that you are having a wonderful day. Thank you so much for dropping by, as this is uh, this is episode 570. Man, been at this thing a long time. No intentions of slowing down, though, so as long as you guys keep listening, we'll, we'll keep rocking and rolling on this end. Um... We got a great show lined up for you today, and I will tell you all about it right now. So, you know what to do. Pull up that stool a little closer to the old campfire. Pour yourself another cup of coffee out of that beat-up old Stanley Thermos, the one granddaddy passed down years ago. That's right. Probably still got mud caked on it from duck seasons come and gone. Uh, certainly, this last duck season was just mud and sunrises for us down here in the uh Southern part of the Central Flyway, anyway. I mean, it's really bad when you're celebrating that you got two ducks between three guys to end the season and you're calling that a good hunt. <laughs> uh, but anyway, hopefully next season will be better, right? Uh, but pour yourself another cup because off the top, I'm going to share an experience I had on Instagram this past week as far as censorship and the ridiculous, just blatant filth that Instagram stands for uh, as far as just being a good human being and, and having any moral fiber whatsoever. I mean, this really is going to shed some light on who these people are in Silicon Valley and what they stand for. But I don't want to get ahead of myself, so um, we'll dive into that here in just a second. And then we're going to spend a significant amount of time with filmmaker... Ben Masters, who recently drew my ire uh, because of his post he made, uh, which was a, a trailer for a anti-hunting, certainly anti-predator hunting and um, wildlife, they call them wildlife killing contests is what these people call them. Uh, but this film titled Project Coyote uh, was basically a smear campaign against predator hunting and specifically predator hunting contests but they take it a lot further and it's very clear that their message is one of ending predator hunting altogether uh, they do it under the guise of these calling contests or predator hunting contests that are very popular in texas held the west texas uh, big bobcat contest i think it was just last weekend if i'm not mistaken and i imagine the the winner i think there had to be over 700 teams again, and that means the winner probably took home over $50,000. Scientifically, though, are these predator-killing contests affecting the population? Um, or is this just virtue signaling or a, an ethics situation? Um, we'll, we'll get Ben's take on that, because I certainly disagree with him. Let me be very clear on that front. And I think, as Ben and I discuss things, uh, that my real disdain is going to be more with the filmmaker who certainly deserves to be in the crosshairs because I know for a fact I've spoken to one of the hunters that was in the film, basically the main character that uh, DeAndre, uh, Philippe DeAndrade followed along. Uh, he was, the, the filmmaker was extremely disingenuous with these folks, told them that he wanted to make a film highlighting predator hunting. They signed waivers. They said, okay, 
And then next thing you know, they're on an anti-hunting smut project, essentially. Um, and I've talked to them personally, and they explained to me that uh, his he was a great actor is what they said about Philippe. So uh, we'll leave it at that for now. But that's what's on the docket for today. Going to be a good one. Certainly looking forward to the conversation with Ben, uh, whom, like I said, I wholeheartedly disagree with. But um, I don't know that we'll come to a common ground. But who knows? We'll find out. That's what we're going to do today. Let's do a quick giveaway. How about some Mossberg swag from our uh, new presenting sponsor? They sent me a box of T-shirts, koozies, and caps. And we'll give one of each away to today's winner. Just email the word Mossberg, that's Mossberg, to Lone Star Outdoor Show at gmail.com, and you are entered into today's giveaway. Let's take a quick break. Coming up next, um, free speech and morals are a thing of the past when it comes to social media. I'll explain next on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show. Spawn is right around the corner. Your reels have been re-spooled and the tackle box is ready to roll. But the question is, can your truck handle another season of pulling your boat in and out of the water every weekend? Call David Boone at Third Coast Diesels. He'll make sure your truck is not what sinks your next fishing trip. Offering a widespread array of diesel parts and services, call 214-326-1176 or visit thirdcoastdiesels.com today. voice of Chris Stapleton bringing us back on SCI's Lone Star Outdoors show presented by Mossberg Firearms. Man, that boy can sing. God-given talent right there, I tell you what. I'm Cable Smith. Thank you so much for tuning in today. As we're about to get into a, a personal censorship experience that uh, I encountered this past week on uh, multiple social media platforms, one that when you hear the whole story, you're going to think is just utterly detestable. But uh, before we do that, this segment of the show brought to you by Stealth Cam and the Fusion wireless cell camera. You can get one for like 170 bucks. It's the most affordable wireless cell camera on the market. Delivers great photos. I would know. I've got four of them that are pinging my app constantly. And data plans these days are as affordable as like $5 a month. Check it out. It's the Fusion. You can find it at StealthCam.com. So what happened this past week? Um, well, I, I don't ever watch the Grammys, by and large, because they don't um, support the type of music that I listen to and outlaw in Texas country for the most part. So I missed the Cardi B and I think the other concubine's name is Megan the Stallion, if I'm not mistaken. 
But I missed their uh, promiscuous WAP dance. And if you don't know what WAP stands for, you can look it up. Uh, It's pretty filthy. Uh, And the dance that they did was equally as disgusting as it drew the ire of, I think, conservatives and uh, just normal people who don't want to see pornography on national television. So I, I did see the highlights and was utterly, I mean, just disgusted that this is what the left, this is what they think entertainment looks like. And so I put a post on Instagram and uh, it was multifaceted. It, it said, hey, first of all, uh, for all of you folks who got a plastic potato, a cartoon skunk, and Dr. Seuss canceled recently, I'd really like your help, or we'd like your help as conservatives, because there are actual real problems within society. Ones like, oh, I don't know, child pornography, pedophilia, and sex trafficking that we would like canceled as well. So maybe y'all could help us out with that problem, with those issues, canceling them, like you did with Mr. Potato Head, uh, Pepe Le Pew, and Dr. Seuss. And I followed that up by saying that... I look at my wife and I'm amazed daily by her grace and beauty. She embodies what a woman truly is, what I think most women really are. Women deserve to be treated as equal to men in society. However, this sets the female gender back light years. What man looks at this and thinks, now there's a woman that deserves respect. Ladies, what are your thoughts? I can tell you right now that fellas don't want to bring these concubines home to meet their mothers. And for anyone looking to really ruin their day, do a little research on California trying to normalize pedophilia as a natural sexual orientation. Okay, that's what I said, and I do apologize. This has nothing to do with hunting or fishing. I I know that. Uh, but it has to do with right and wrong. And I had so many people reach out and say, hey, thanks for using your platform, using your voice to stand up against these horrendous things that are going on in our society. So the post is up for like an hour and then I get a message from Instagram that they've deleted it for bullying and harassment. I have violated community guidelines for bullying and harassment. What? In what world is being pro-feminism, being anti-pedophilia, being anti-child pornography, and being anti-sex trafficking bullying and harassing tells me that those degenerates in Silicon Valley believe that those things are normal and that that entertainment does look like the WAP dance that's not the America that I want to raise my kiddos in and I'd bet the house that you guys don't want to raise your kids in that type of environment either so they delete the posts okay well I screenshot what they said that I was bullying and harassing, right? And I reposted it with that screenshot because I, I I actually sent a response and said, no, I don't think I am. So they reviewed it and they said, yeah, you are. Okay, fine. Uh, reposted it with their screenshot. That lasts for about 30 minutes before it's taken down. I, at this point, I'm pretty pissed because as a, as a father, as just someone, just as a person who has a problem with pedophilia, Man, telling me that I can't speak out against those abhorrent practices, just my mind was blown. So they deleted it the second time. 
And I'm like, okay, well, I'm not going to post it a third time. Instead, I'm going to go on Instagram Live. Oh, and by the way, they deleted it twice on Facebook. Same deal. Um, so I go to Instagram Live, which for any of y'all who aren't on Instagram, I understand some of the older folks don't mess around on social media. Some of you probably, for good reason, aren't on there either because there's a lot of negative things going on on social media these days. But anyway, I go to Instagram Live uh, where you can interact with followers or just the general public in a live feed. And I am blocked from Instagram Live. So they know that I have a problem with their censorship, standing against disgusting practices that they support. And so they they blocked me from uh, doing a live feed. So there you have it. Free speech is dead. Uh, certainly morality is nothing that they're interested in. And what about feminism? What is feminism? Is it uh, don't objectify me? Um, is it the Me Too movement? Or is it the WAP dance? I mean, what is it? Because I guarantee you, I don't respect women that, that basically sell their bodies for money, which is what you're doing. Uh, you don't have to be actually doing it to be considered whoring yourself out. Um, man, I don't know. I didn't know being pro-feminism, pro-women was uh was a bad thing but apparently to them it is but hey we'll keep fighting the good fight and and thanks to all of you guys who reached out and said man i, I appreciate you sticking up for what you believe in with that being said let's actually talk some hunting conservation and uh, have a little disagreement with ben masters coming up here in just a second that segment brought to you by mossberg firearms and the patriot lineup from the 22 to 50 which is what Henry uses to the 375 Ruger, which will take down AK Buffalo. I know from uh, recent experience, they have it all. They've got every caliber under the sun. The Patriot lineup is affordable, reliable, rugged, and you can find it at Mossberg.com. We'll be right back on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show. Still I'll spend my time and all my cash. Home for some energy box and a prayer that I might last to see another day. Whether you're headed to the lake for crappie, the coast for redfish, or trying to put your tag on that big gobbler this spring, don't let your truck tank your next trip. Third Coast Diesels does it all. From maintenance to repairs to full diesel rebuilds, any accessory on any truck, doesn't matter. They also do lifts, wheels, tires, hell, you name it. Third Coast Diesel does it. Call David Boone at 214-326-1176 or visit thirdcoastdiesels.com. With city life seemingly getting crazier by the minute, the thought of moving out to the country is looking more appealing than ever. And Foster Farm and Ranch has been recognized as one of the nation's top ranch brokerages the past two years. They have listings in 22 counties and counting and are truly a statewide entity. Foster represents buyers and sellers from all walks of life. Farmers, ranchers, hunters, doctors, lawyers, investors, and possibly you. You can find them on Facebook, Foster Farm and Ranch, or Instagram, at Foster Ranch Sales. Of course, fosterfarmandranch.com, the website, or call Chad at 830-776-3605. This premium power sports is one of the largest pre-owned dealers in Texas. They specialize in sales of pre-owned ATVs and UTVs, many of which come fully accessorized. They also have a full service and repair center for most major brands and offer financing with a 500 credit score or better. 
They'll even finance parts and accessories such as high racks, roofs, and wheel and tire combos. Visit TexasPremiumPowerSports.com or check them out on Instagram at Texas underscore premium underscore power sports. That's TexasPremiumPowerSports.com. Hey, hey, y'all, this is Roger Crager, and if I'm not out fishing or trying to take over the world, I'm listening to the Lone Star Outdoor Show. A little more than a few old guns handed down the line. Once owned by my nana and papa, but now they're mine. One of my all-time favorites from our very own Roger Kreger bringing us back on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show presented by Mossberg Firearms, Cable Smith, riding shotgun with you today. Thanks for dropping by as uh, we're about to visit with filmmaker Ben Masters. But uh, before we do that, this segment of the presentation proudly brought to you by All Seasons Feeders and Blinds. I know... Deer season has come and gone, so it's time to start thinking about next season. And if you're like me, you've got little ones, hey, there is no better way to introduce a kiddo into white-tailed deer hunting than with an all-season speeder's big chingone. Well, if you've got three kids like me, better get the big chingone. Maybe you've just got one. Hey, the little chingone is awesome, too. It's got cup holders, carpets, windows for rifle and bows. I mean, it's the Taj Mahal of hunting blinds. You can find both the Big Chingone and its little brother right there at allseasonsfeeders.com. All right, well, um, if any of y'all were following along on Instagram, it sounds so ridiculous. We're going back to social media again. But um, we got into a little bit of a disagreement with Ben Masters, who does have some influence in the hunting community. And for him to post the trailer of a anti-predator hunting, what I'm going to call a smut film, a smut project, because it was totally inaccurate. And the way that it was produced was downright um, erroneous. It was just, there was so much fallacy and it was propaganda is all it was. Uh, so for someone within our ranks to say, hey, this is a worthwhile thing to watch and we need to think about these predator killing contests and do away with them as a hunting community... I was surprised, and so I basically called Ben out, and uh, he responded, and I think it was safe to say there was a little bit of animosity from both sides originally, but you talk things out. I don't know that we'll come to an agreement during this discussion, but I think it's um, one worth having to try to understand his perspective, so we're gonna, we are going to have an open forum here today, and... Uh, I'll ask him some tough questions. He might have questions for me. I don't know. We'll see. But with that being said, it is my pleasure to welcome Ben Masters to the show. Okay. So first off, I, I have to say that the first thing that I ever said to you on your page, I, I believe I called you a coward <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> for having a private page. So the fact that you're having me on, uh, I, I really appreciate. And I think it's just one of those classic examples of how social media brings out the worst in people and uh I, you know i'm looking forward to the to the conversation we have today absolutely and i'm glad we're having it um because i think you know in our preliminary conversation off the air we do have things in common um specifically i w and i was a little surprised to hear about your stance regarding these 
these wild mustangs that are proliferating public lands throughout the West and are a huge expenditure on taxpayers. Like every year, it's I don't you you probably have the numbers, but it's millions and millions of dollars. These things are tearing up our public land. I've seen it firsthand in Colorado. Um, I was mountain lion hunting and I was on a mule and this stallion comes up and he's not afraid of humans uh, and made my, my mule very uneasy to the point where I, I was a little worried. Um, and then, you know, they're just crapping everywhere and tearing the place up. It's, uh, it's a burden and it's taxing on the, on the public lands. So your um, solution made a lot of sense to me. One that I think the general public probably has a, a big problem with. So wild horses is an issue that uh, I've spent a lot of my, my life on. Mm-hmm. Uh, my history with wild horses is that I sat on the Wild Horse and Burrow Advisory Board on the Bureau of Land Management, which is a volunteer position. Uh, I was there for three years and I represented the interests of wildlife um, on, on 31 million acres, which, is a, which was a huge honor. Uh, for get for me to get to to serve my my public lands like that. Uh, personally, I have five five mustangs. They're not wild now. They're awesome mountain horses. They're super trail broken, great animals. Um, twice I've had the good fortune to be able to train some horses and ride them across the country through our public lands. So I'm a big fan of the wild horses and of the mustangs. Um, you know that said, I've also gotten a lot of hate because I think that. The predicament that we're in right now with the wild horses and burrows uh, is going to require a lethal management option in order to get their populations under control. But um, you want me to dive into the whole history of it? I mean, it's costing taxpayers millions of dollars every year. Uh, And then you, you know, you ride around in pristine wilderness on, on an elk hunt or a mountain lion hunt, or you're just backpacking and you see all of this crap i mean horse crap everywhere and you see the brows and the native forest just being decimated yeah it's a lot more than an eyesore i mean it's it's impacting our native rangelands and our and our public lands and i don't think it's right to knowingly allow a non-native species to go in and just overgraze a lot of our sensitive riparian areas that sage grouse and bighorn sheep and mule deer and everything else depends on um so to kind of get to that point, um, horses in North America, they evolved here and then they were, they were extirpated. They went extinct in North America. Prior to that, they crossed over the, Lar- the Bering Land Strait where they were then domesticated by, you know, the first cowboys, the Mongols and like on the Asian steppes. And then they crossed back into North America um, in the 1500s and 1600s with some of the early Spanish explorers. And the horses, uh, some of them were able to escape. A lot of historians take that original wild horse herd back to the Pueblo Revolt in New Mexico. Mm-hmm. And once the horses escaped, they did what horses do. They proliferated and they were just expanded in number greatly. Uh, one historian, J. Frank Doby, believes that there was a million wild horses on the Great Plains in the American West point in time so as the west was settled you know these horses they were rounded up for people to use they were rounded up for meat they were competition with livestock for a variety of reasons their population uh, went from one million down to a couple tens of thousands 
uh, World War One and World War Two is especially hard on them. A lot of them were killed for for meat and for use in war. But in 1971, the Wild Horse and Free Roaming Bro Act was passed, which protected those horses. the The issue with that act was that it wasn't particularly well thought out, in the sense that they were like, "All right, well, let's protect them," but then there was no stipulations on what's going to happen whenever these horse herds double or triple or quadruple in size and begin having really negative impacts on the range. So there was some amendments to that where each of these areas where these wild horses roam, which is primarily in Western states, Mm -hmm. they live in an area where they call a herd management area. And they put a target population size on that area that also takes into account the existing livestock use from permittees as well as our wildlife. And they say, like, okay, this one area is 100,000 acres. There's enough forage available for 75 horses for it not to impact the range. And they call that the appropriate management level. So they began rounding up horses and they would get them to the appropriate management level. They would adopt them out. And then the horses that couldn't get adopted out, they would then sell them to kill buyers who would then either turn it into human food or turn it into dog food. The, the issue that they had is that you had some animal rights organizations that went in and really put a stop to the, the slaughter of these horses. Mm-hmm. And all of a the sudden there wasn't a place to put all these excess horses and the government began just stockpiling them inside of these holding pens. Have you ever eaten horse meat? No, I never have. I haven't either, but I imagine it's not bad. I mean, Europeans eat it and like it. So uh, it's weird that our North American mindset is, so I guess, just one of anthropomorphism where we just can't stomach killing in uh, eating a horse. Yeah, I think it's similar to dogs. Like a lot of places, people have no problems eating dogs and horses. But yeah. uh, and, and it's it's not illegal here to eat horses, but the USDA won't uh, give the funding for horse slaughter plants. So that's kind of the way that they were able to stop the horse slaughtering plants in, in the United States. Uh, so it's actually an appropriations bill. That's, that's the, that's the issue. Okay. So they didn't have a place to put the horses. And today we have about 50,000 wild horses and burrows that have been gathered by the federal government that are living in these massive feedlots and leased pastures that are costing taxpayers, you know, 50, $55 million a year, uh, just in the feed bill. And that doesn't account all the money and, and, and all the, all the lost opportunity on the public lands. So it's a huge issue. Uh, I thought the last administration was going to address it, but, but they didn't. Um, and I, I don't have high hopes for this administration addressing it either simply because it's such a politically sensitive topic. Um, but, but, but the real shame of it, what really hurts me is as a person who you know, loves wildlife and wildlife habitat more than anything but my family, the, the impact that these horses are having on our public lands is very significant. And we're talking like tens of millions of acres where you have sometimes 10 times the target population of, of horses. And they're having a significant impact on a lot of species across the American West. And I, 
in my opinion, I don't think it's fair for a non-native species to have priority over the sage grouse and the bighorn sheep and the mule deer and the pronghorn. Right. Um, so right, right now, across all public lands in the American West, the target population size is right around 30,000 horses. Uh, and we likely have close to 100,000. Wow. So it's almost like so far out of control that it's going to be incredibly difficult to. And so to you took out. some some heat because of a film that you made, right? Yeah, I mean, we made a film called Unbranded that we did in 2013, where we uh, adopted uh, some wild mustangs, myself and three friends, and we mm -hmm. rode from the Mexican border to the Canadian border with the attempt of showing people that these horses are really awesome horses and they can be adopted and to try to inspire adoptions. Um, and, and we did a lot of good with that film. We got literally hundreds of horses adopted and hundreds of thousands of dollars raised for uh, adoption organizations. I'm, I'm extremely proud of that. We didn't really get heat for that film. Yeah. Um, I got a lot of heat because after that film came out, I became an outspoken you know, advocate for sane wild horse management and sat on the advisory board uh, for the BLM. And I voted in favor of having euthanasia be an option for wild horse management. Right. Okay. I was wondering why you would have, I mean, that, that film should, really shouldn't have given you any flack, but I was wondering where the hate came from. And that makes sense. As soon as you say kill the horses uh, and, you know, even though that is sound wildlife management, there's going to be people that are like, whoa, whoa, you're off your rocker. We're not doing that. <laughs> so yeah, and the, the ultimate thing is it's going to be sad for the horses. I mean, in the past few years, we've had events where we've had mass starvations and mass uh, like deaths of horses because they ran out of water. And it's, it's just mm -hmm. it's, it's crazy to, to allow unlimited growth to the point where they just crash the population. So Right. Well, it would be like putting, um, let's take it to Texas, it'd be like putting um, emphasis on protecting feral hogs over white-tailed deer you know it just it doesn't make any sense biologically um and so something that we shouldn't support uh so anyway we have certainly common ground there um i thank you for educating us a little bit more on that topic um that being said i was surprised to see someone with influence within our ranks as a as a hunting community repost a trailer in support of this anti-hunting film titled project coyote uh, and it's actually an organization, I guess, bef before uh, the film and uh, the executive director and the founder, her name is Camilla Fox. Um, but I guess you're, you're friends with the producer, uh, Felipe D'Andrade. What is your relationship with him? So Felipe and I go back a few years. He's a wildlife filmmaker, as am I. So it's a pretty small community and gotten to do quite a few wildlife shoots with Philippe. I also floated the entire extent of the Rio Grande River with Philippe. So we've spent a lot of time together. And I think that it's really important to say that that film that we're about to dive into, that was not my movie. I, I did not make that movie. If I had, there would have been some significant changes to it. I also must admit that whenever I made that post, I was not aware of project, some of the agenda that Project Coyote has in regards to like shutting down some bear hunts in some states and some other stuff. 
So I'm at fault for not doing due diligence on studying that organization. That being said, I do find common ground with them in the sense that I believe that wildlife killing contests um, are bad. Well, I mean, and you're probably like, why is the hell, why, why is this guy coming at me that I don't know? Um, you know, I saw how many followers you had and I was like, this guy has influence. People are going to listen to what he said. Why is he taking a stand against uh, these contests? And then I watched the film and it was very, in my opinion, disingenuous. And we'll get into some of that stuff. So what we're going to talk about now, I think has more to do with Felipe and the film and the, and the possible repercussions um, that this film could have, I think more so than your stance on um, predator management, so to speak. So we'll get into that after the break, starting with the tough question of whether or not Ben actually kills predators himself. Uh, that segment brought to you by Lone Star Ag Credit. Land is the one thing they're not making anymore, but we all want it, whether that's for nature hiking or calling and killing coyotes. Either way, we all want it. Lone Star Ag Credit has been helping its borrowers finance their own slice of paradise for over 100 years. They'll do the same for you, and you can find them at LoneStarAgCredit.com. We'll be right back with more on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show. I got a pretty good friend who's seen me at my worst. He can't tell if I'm a blessing or a curse. But he always shows up when the chips are down. There's something nostalgic about the old-timey general store, and that's exactly what you're going to find in downtown Goldwave, Texas, at the Mills County General Store. They're licensed FFL with rifle, pistols, and shotguns, ammo, gun accessories, hunting accessories, deer, corn, and attractants, sporting goods. They've got a wide array of knives to choose from, plus insulated apparel for both work and camo for hunting season fishing supplies they've got foods like anchor tea grass-fed beef dublin sodas gourmet sauces and a whole lot more also ace hardware from wall to wall they have it all check it out the mills county general store right there in goldweight texas Hi, Brett Jepson here with Three Curl Lease Connection. I'd like to invite you to come enjoy some of Texas' best dove hunting just minutes outside of Dallas. We have many private dove leases available for this upcoming season, including milo, wheat, sunflower, and cornfields. Leases come in different sizes and prices, so we can fit anyone's budget. We have the lease that's perfect for you and your group. We don't overcrowd multiple groups into one property, and you'll have the first pick at renewing your lease for years to come. Please visit us at threecurl.com and click on leases for your property listings. That's T-H-R-E-E-C-U-R-L.com. Pulsar Night Vision and Thermal Imaging has been helping hunters light up the night for over a decade now. I've been with them for quite some time. Back in the early days, thermal optics were pretty expensive. You might not realize it, though. The average guy can get into a thermal rifle scope these days very affordably. I've got the Thermion XP50. Absolutely love that scope. It's got a diverse color palette, lots of options to choose from, whether you want white hot, uh, black hot, red hot, you name it. There's tons of options, literally. It's got internal recording as well, and it's got internal and external battery options. So you can hunt all night without having to worry about running out of batteries. You can find the Thermion XP50 as well as their entire lineup of thermal and night vision optics right there at PulsarNV.com. Jalapeno, 
Queso Blanco, that is the Quaker City Nighthawks bringing us back on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show presented by Mossberg Firearms. Thank you guys and gals for tuning in today. I'm your host, Cable Smith. We've still got wildlife filmmaker Ben Masters on the line with us, and we'll get back into our difference of opinion on predator hunting contest here momentarily. But first, this segment brought to you by SCI, the worldwide leader in big game conservation, but equally as important, SCI puts their money where their mouth is when it comes to protecting your rights as hunters, educating the public, and of course, advocating for conservation. I'd love to have you join our ranks, and you can do so by checking us out at safariclub.org. Now, with that being said, let's get back into it with Ben. And the first question I've got to ask, because it's going to obviously let people know well, certainly more where you're coming from, Ben, is do you kill predators yourself? Not anymore. I did grow up in a ranching family, and we killed a lot of coyotes and bobcats growing up, and it was pretty sound. Um, you know, the only good coyote's a dead coyote kind of philosophy, and I don't kill predators anymore. Um, I study wildlife biology at Texas A&M, and I think that unless there's a pretty – heavy predator control program, the kind of recreational killing of predators doesn't really make a difference on calf survival or fawn survival. So in the sense of like mammal predators, I don't kill any, but I mean, I'll catch and eat the heck out of some fish. One of my buddies kind of in the same vein, the, the background as you've got, he, he has a um, wildlife management degree from Texas Tech. And one of the studies he did as he was working on his uh, thesis is he went to New Mexico and studied the impact of black bear predation on mule deer fawns. Dude, it was mind-blowing how many fawns these bears kill in a given sp- uh, spring-summer. I mean, it's uh, all they did was collar these bears and then track all these kill sites, and it was like one bear could kill, I think, within a week, like 12 fawns. So, it, you know, obviously New Mexico has a black bear season for a reason. I killed one there uh, last fall. Um, do you take issue with that kind of predator management? No, I don't take issue with managed predator hunting. Okay. Um, let's dig, let's get into the film. The film's in my opinion, like I said, a complete sham. It claims, um, focus, uh, it claims it's focused on ending wildlife killing contests, but Philippe just went after the contest because there's low hanging fruit, right? I mean, that's the first thing you can come after. We saw it in California. Uh, they banned predator hunting contest, subsequently banned the killing of bobcats altogether. Like they're endangered. You know, it's that's that's the virtue signaling here. It's just like it's not even realistic. Bobcats are coming into neighborhoods, killing people's pets. And they just told everyone in California, we can't we can no longer hunt them, which doesn't really make any sense to me. Uh, and then, you know, they they banned the uh, the black bear hunting with hounds. I think that was in 2012. And so you. You know, you, you just kind of look at the writing on the wall. How do you get those things back? Because those are totally unrelated to these wildlife killing contests. But uh, certainly something that if you look at his his page, Philippe's page, that he's not he's not really just after these predator contests. He'd love to end predator hunting altogether. And we'll talk about some of the things he said about wolves, too. My, my fear is that you undermine the entire conservation model, Ben. 
that has made North America the gold standard when it comes to wildlife management. I mean, you would agree that we have the most robust wildlife populations in the world, the most well-managed. Um, that wasn't always the case 100 years ago, but I think today uh, most countries would be very envious of, of our wildlife resources. Yeah, I agree. I, I have some serious issues with the film and with Project Coyote, and I think that I tried to distance myself from that in the posts that I made in the sense that I very explicitly stated this is not my film yeah. and I find common ground in that wildlife killing contests are bad. But the reason why I believe wildlife killing contests are bad is different than the reason that Project Coyote finds wildlife killing contests are bad. Yeah. So you're, you're right that it was probably hasty on my part to have aligned myself with that. And that is your critique that, that I accept. Okay. Well, and, and this is, I'm not railing on you now. I am just going to talk about some of the things in the film that are totally erroneous. Like there's a clip of someone running over a coyote with a snowmobile. Like that has nothing to do with predator hunting contest or wildlife killing contest. Uh, so shooting, so it, it is legal to run over coyotes with snowmobiles in multiple states. Okay, but I, I mean, I, I'm not I'm not aware of any predator hunter I've ever come across that has done that for a wildlife killing contest. Yeah, certainly not in Texas. Well, maybe this year I could. <laughs> right. um, shooting them out of a helicopter. Also, you can't do that for a wildlife killing contest. So why is why are those kind of clips in the film unless there's another you know agenda that's greater than just ending these wildlife uh, killing contests? Also, the claim that wolves are targeted in these contests which you know wolf management is very strict uh so to say that it's just like a this open-ended comment of oh yeah you can kill wolves in these contests that's not true um and here's and i really want to just point out this is his mindset and i read this post on his instagram you know i watched the film and and personally i watched the film and thought whoever made this and i didn't know anything about the guy at the time so whoever made this probably and i even said it in my post he's probably a nat geo videographer yeah. go, to his, go to his go to his profile he freaking works for nat geo i mean it couldn't have been the writing was like it was like wow okay i, I figured the guy out before i ever even knew anything about him but this is his quote on wolves that that i dude i just can't even believe that that this exists but it's and this is his quote to me wolves are the terrestrial version of dolphins and that they live every day as if it's their last and pour every fiber of their being into their life's novel when they look at you, they look through you and imprint your soul. Dude, that's just anthropomorphism is all it is. Like the dude thinks that wildlife is, you know, has human characteristics. I, I take it a step further. I posted a video of like these thousands of snakes that were rounded up the, the um, Sweetwater rattlesnake roundup a couple weeks ago. And he freaking said that snakes are like family. They live in family units and uh, have certain personalities. Like I, no, I don't think that's uh, accurate. I've never seen a rattlesnake say here to my buddy, let me share this rabbit with you. Like, no, that's, they're just snakes, man. And he, he certainly anthropomorphizes animals, um, which I think is the root of, of this whole deal. Uh, it was very apparent in the film. With that being said, why, let me ask you, why, why do you take issue with these contests? You've already said you don't have a problem with sound predator management. Uh, what is it about the contest that, that sets you off? Is it, I mean, do you anthropomorphize coyotes? I don't know. So the, the, the issue that I have with these contests and 
to some degree, it is an ethical issue. Mm-hmm. The, the, the big issue that I have with the wildlife killing contest is, is the purpose. In my opinion, with my belief system, with my ethics, I believe that killing an animal should be for a purpose, whether that's food, whether that's furs, whether that's for sound predator control, I believe that it should be purposeful. And the predator killing contests, they're killing these animals for prizes and they're not utilizing the animal in many circumstances. And I take issue with people going out and shooting 40, 50 foxes in a night and then throwing them away. To me, I think it gives a very bad perception of hunting. And I think that it turns away people that we could be recruiting into the hunting community. And I think that it's just a big black eye on all of us. Mm-hmm. And I, I take issue with it. Okay. I mean, I understand that. Um, but I would say certainly coyotes can be managed. Um, it, it takes a lot of effort to do that. Uh, yeah, usually you, it's going to take more than just going out with a call or a thermal. You're going to have to snare. You're going to have to set traps. Um, but you can make a difference. The, the scientific fact, though, is that these contests don't impact the, the numbers of the predators for you know, they rebound quick enough to where these guys that participate in these hunts, they can go back five months later and rack up the same number of, of foxes, coyotes, bobcats that they did previously. So it tells me that obviously there's no real long-term effects from them. So we can rule that out. Texas Parks and Wildlife has no problem with it. Most state wildlife agencies that haven't been infiltrated with animal rights activists or politicians that are animal rights activists, um, they have no issue with it because they see, and I, I'm not, I'm not talking about wolves cause you know, there's, there's millions and millions of coyotes. There's, you know, thousands of wolves. So, um, talking about, we'll talk about the main three that are killed in these contests, which are coyotes, bobcats, and foxes. And just scientifically they don't impact it, you know? So I, I think that's a very important note to make cable because a lot of the reasons why people claim that these predator contests are good is for predator management. Mm-hmm. And as you said, one month, two months, three months later, there's not an impact. Right, right. There, yeah, there's not. Um, I will say a lot of landowners at certain times of the year want people to come out and to say, hey, have no problem if you want to come out and shoot coyotes during you know, let's just call a spade a spade during the breeding season or when the pups are in the den, you know, you wipe out the parents. Well, okay. There went that litter of pups. Um, and I think, you know, if, if you do it targeted, you can make an, an impact. I, uh, I agree. And I think it's important to make that, that distinction between wildlife killing contests and predator management, because right. I know a lot of people that have ranches. I know a lot of wildlife biologists who, you know, if they're going to go out and do a $200,000 desert sheep reintroduction or pronghorn or something like that, before they take those animals out there, they're going to try to, you know, kill some coyotes just so they can get the most bang for their buck. Like, I totally get it. Or um, they'll even kill Oddad. You know, they'll kill whatever is competing with uh, that investment they've made in the native wildlife. Yeah, totally. You know, in Texas, you know, Oddad will be – Texas Parks and Wildlife shoots Oddad out of helicopters and leaves them lay um and and the same thing 
happens in Idaho with wolves in Montana with wolves. People don't know that because those fish and game departments, eh, you know, it's much like the, your opinion on the, the horses, the lethal means is really the only logical, ex, you know, result you're going to come to those, those agencies try to shy away from that. They don't put it out there in the public eye, but they do it. Uh, they'll, if you ask them, they'll tell you, you know, uh, they're not going to lie to you. So, so like a question I have for you, like whenever you see these photos online where there's 60 foxes all spread out across a parking lot, like, do you agree with me? That's a, that's pretty bad public perception of the hunting community. Uh, it's not my favorite photo to look at. Like, it's not one that I'm saying here, let me repost this. This looks like, you know, I would say when I was younger, uh, in my early twenties, I'm almost 40 now. Um, that I certainly was like, Oh, Hey, great job guys. You know? Uh, and, and between me and those hunters, if they're in a contest, I would still pat them on the back and say, Hey, great job. Would I post the photo personally? No. Um, no, I would not. That's, that's my opinion. Uh, but I'm not going to tell them that they can't do it. And it's not my place. Like, like I said, there's nothing sci scientific that says to me going back to that. And, and I'm all about science. That's, that's how I look at wildlife management across the board. I don't put I don't really take ethics into consideration. I take ethics into consideration in my own hunting, everyday hunting, and I wouldn't associate with people and haven't uh, that I consider to be unethical hunters. And I just don't think it's an ethical thing. Like those guys are still putting a lot of money into wildlife conservation, whether they're doing it intentionally or not, they're buying ammo, they're buying hunting license, they're buying rifles, all that gets taxed to high holy hell Pittman Robertson dollars. We all know that. And we're proud to support that uh, and have been since the 1930s. It doesn't, it doesn't, I don't put any emotion into it. And so going back to what Felipe said about the wolves seeing through your soul, I've killed a wolf at 20 yards with a rifle. And, and when I walked up on it, I respected it the same way that I, that I would a white tailed deer. It didn't affect me any other way. I've killed mountain lions. I've killed bears. Yeah, predators are awesome, but at the end of the day, they're just another animal. They deserve the same respect as a white-tailed deer, as an elk. Uh, I didn't feel—I don't feel any different when I take one life uh, as opposed to another. Yeah, I think respect for the for the quarry should be like an absolute principle that we have as hunters. I think yeah. that like that connection to the animal, the respect for the animal is something that is absolutely critical. And that's not something that I see with a lot of these wildlife killing contests. Yeah. And I, I just don't see the respect for the game, but yeah, you're right, man. Like I think respect should be absolutely important. I think using that animal should be very important. My guess is that that wolf that you killed, you probably took its high and you probably had it tan and you're probably very proud of that. And it like brings back fond memories. I'm assuming that you didn't throw it in a dumpster. No, no, it's uh, at the taxidermist right now. Uh, then the bears and the the cougar we ate. You know, I mean, they they're phenomenal table fare. But maybe I'm just soft, like uh, most North Americans, but I have no interest in eating uh, the the wolf certainly or a coyote for that matter. We wouldn't need a dog either. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um. Uh, yeah. So I, I guess at the end of the day, um, you know, I. I will say I was still just surprised to see you post that. You've really uh, gained some respect for me, though, by saying, hey, you know what? The, the film really, looking back on it, there are things about it that are disingenuous. And and I will tell you, and I think the guy's going to come on the show. Uh, I think his name's Jake. His, he's the main um, figure in the film. 
like th- they were not honest with those guys when they said, Hey, we want to film predator hunt. Um, like he said, he was straight up lied to. So we'll find out cause I'm going to talk to him. Uh, but you know, that, that's, uh, that doesn't really do any favors, uh, for me with Felipe, you know, just to, to, to not be honest with people when you're filming them, then to paint hunting in this negative light, I have a real issue with that. So we'll see where that, where that ends up. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I wasn't there on those conversations. I do know that those guys willingly gave over their release forms, like he got release forms from them. And in my opinion, I thought that it was pretty courteous that Philippe, uh, I don't know. I, I have, I mean, he blurred out their faces and I, I kind of hate that because it kind of dehumanizes somebody. But I also think it was kind of a nice thing to do because, you know, he has them on film killing a protected bird. Like they shot a night jar um, for, for no reason at all. And, you know, that's on film as well as like shooting at Caracaras and a bunch of other stuff that he didn't put in the film because he didn't want to like try to paint all predator hunters as breakers of the law. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I, I just wasn't there for those conversations, but I agree with you. It, it would have been better if he was more honest. And in my opinion, I think he should have had the decency to have shown the hunters in the film, the, the film before it came out because, um, he could have made him look a lot worse, but they certainly didn't come across looking good. No, no, he didn't. You know, I mean, you want to talk about journalism 101 and ethics, like here he is, and here we are talking about the ethics of these predator killing contests. And yet the only way that he was able to produce the film was by a lack of ethics. It's ironic, but uh, we are going to take a quick break. When we come back, I think uh, it's important to look at what this type of propaganda means for other wildlife killing contests, ones that you might not think about. Uh, certainly not in the same vein as predator killing contest. We'll discuss next with Ben Masters that segment brought to you by Pulsar and the Thermion XP50 Thermal Rifle Scope. When I'm out calling coyotes, that's what I'm using, baby, for sure. It is the best thermal optic that I've ever used. It's got a diverse color palette. It's got internal recording. And perhaps the best feature, two battery sources. One internal, one external. So you're not going to run out of juice, even on an all-night hunt. It's the Thermion XP50. You can find it at PulsarNV.com. We'll be right back with more on SCI's Lone Star Outdoors show. Wait on the corner. I love you, but we're strangers when we meet. Hey guys, Cable here for Quiet Cat, the leader in e-bikes made specifically for overlanding, hunting, fishing, and remote access to the great outdoors. Quiet Cat provides outdoor enthusiasts a means of portable, low-impact transportation while providing you with the most reliable product on the market. I own a Quiet Cat, and it has surpassed all my expectations. It's an amazing machine that stealthily gets me wherever the hunting or fishing adventure takes me. Based out of Eagle, Colorado, Quiet Cat is able to put all of their products to the test, making sure your e-bike is built to last. Visit QuietCat.com or call 970-328-2399 for more info. Hey y'all, Chris Letzinger, online sales manager at Cinnamon Creek Ranch here, reminding you we're not your typical archery club. We're a one-of-a-kind archery facility with indoor and outdoor ranges, full pro shop, and six different 3D courses. Cinnamon Creek was designed by hunters for hunters. Located in Roanoke, Texas, we have over 200 3D targets to hone your archery skills. 
Call 817-439-8998 or visit us at cinnamoncreekranch.com to visit our new online store. That's cinnamoncreekranch.com. Texas Premium Power Sports is one of the largest pre-owned dealers in Texas. They specialize in sales of pre-owned ATVs and UTVs, many of which come fully accessorized. They also have a full service and repair center for most major brands and offer financing with a 500 credit score or better. They'll even finance parts and accessories such as high racks, roofs, and wheel and tire combos. Visit TexasPremiumPowerSports.com or check them out on Instagram at Texas underscore premium underscore power sports. That's TexasPremiumPowerSports.com. I'm a designated driver. She's my designated lover. And tonight for me there is no other with my water. Could I get a squeeze of life? Cause leaving without her would be a crime. I have water on the rise. Water on the rocks, a little Mike in the Moon Pies bringing us back on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show presented by Mossberg Firearms. Cable Smith here with you. Uh, we're still visiting with wildlife filmmaker Ben Masters before we dive back into our conversation on wildlife killing contest. This segment of the show proudly brought to you by Vortex Optics and the Diamondback HD Spotting Scope Series. I keep telling you, from Africa to New Mexico, Montana, you name it, this thing is a vital part of my kit. If you're glassing, you know, and man, you wouldn't think Africa would would require hours and hours behind a spotting scope, but it does. Uh, Certainly on the Eastern Cape, this thing is your best friend. It's affordable. You can pick one up for under $600. uh, Plus, it comes with Vortex's VIP unconditional transferable warranty. It's the best in the business. You can find the Diamondback Spotting Scope Series at VortexOptics.com. With that being said, Ben... You know, I think we have to just reiterate the the precedent that is set when you look at places that have banned wildlife killing contests, like California, where, you know, we already went over, they banned mountain lion hunting in the 90s, black bears in 2012. Now, bobcats, and of course, before bobcats, predator killing contests. So that's the mentality of people that want these things banned and they target it because it's low-hanging fruit, and they know once they get their foot in the door, then they can kick it down. I'll tell you about me. I've never personally participated in, in a predator hunting contest. I'd certainly go out and call, and I enjoy it. And, but I'm talking about, you know, I'm doing it for sport. Um, I utilize the animal if I can. I've eaten bobcat. Not that good. I'm not going to lie. Uh, <laughs> I, have but, <laughs> yeah. I have a terrible story about that. But <laughs> Mountain lion's way better, uh, for sure. Um so I've never participated, right? But I'm not, I just don't feel like I can tell someone else that they can or shouldn't be allowed to to do it if they want to, knowing that it's putting money back into conservation. So I guess that's the fundamental difference between you and I's take on this situation. Yeah. And, you know, like I said, I, I think that the post that I made was a little bit short-sighted and definitely opened a can of worms that was a little bit bigger than I had anticipated. So I, I think there's another difference that we have between us. And that is the difference that I think you think that no matter what, we should defend hunters at all costs because that is critical to the future of hunting. Is that like a, a fair statement? 
Yeah, but for the reasons that I just outlined, like what the writing's on the wall. Just look at what California's done. Look at what I mean, like New Mexico's trying to ban trapping on public land right now today, and they're the odds of them getting it through is very good. Like trapping is trapping is like American pastime and it's what pushed westward expansion. And if you were taking the time to go and trap on public land in New Mexico, you are utilizing that animal. You're not throwing it away because you're spending a lot of time, a lot of money on fuel equipment uh, to, to make that endeavor. And so you're, you're telling those people they don't have the right to do it. Anyway, that's my fear is that, yeah, you, 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 you let them get their foot in the door. And these aren't conversations that are like, um, the difference between like this and say crossbow hunters and traditional bow hunters and compound bow hunters is that we're all hunters and we're all on the same team. This is being in bed with anti hunters. Felipe is anti is anti predator hunting. He's probably anti hunting. He might have some weird, Oh, I believe in like native tribe things being allowed to hunt sustainably, but to go look at the guy's page, he's not pro hunting. And so I think when you get in bed with, with that, with that type of mentality, then that's that's dangerous. So that that's my answer, long answer to your short question. So personally, I would absolutely love if there was a hunting organization that would have stepped up and said, "Hey guys, this is really bad for our public outlook. How can we address this?" And not go through an organization like Project Coyote. And that's one of the failures that I think that I see in the hunting community is that it's really bad about having these conversations. And I sit on, or I, I'm involved in a handful of different hunting organizations. In Texas, I sit on the Wildlife Conservation Committee for the Texas Wildlife Association. These conversations are definitely happening within these hunting organizations of like, what do we do about really poor representation? And unlike you, where you think that we must stand together at all times, the biggest threat that I see to hunting is a lack of hunter recruitment. In my lifetime, whenever I was born, there was an estimated 30 million hunters in the United States. Last year, there was 11 million hunters in the United States. So there's a that number was probably up because of COVID. I mean, we had a ton of new hunters because of the pandemic. Yeah, and like hunting is so important for wildlife conservation. It funds our state agencies. Nobody drops a lot of money like hunters. So the biggest demographic of new hunters that are coming into hunting right now are people that are doing it for ethical reasons. They want to know where their food comes from. They're tired of buying meat at the grocery store. They want to have a better connection to nature. They're doing it because there's a lot of respect for the animal. And my, my issue with these wildlife killing contests is that it portrays us in an extremely negative light and that it's turning people away from hunting rather than bringing them in. That's a, that's a huge issue that I have with them. Well, I, I can respect that. Um, but here's one, one other thing to consider is so, and, and they're very clear on project coyote. They're not just saying predator killing contest. They're talking their their phrase is stop the kill. And they're talking about wildlife killing contest. Ben, that means the, um, big buck contests and freer. Bye-bye. Uh, that means redfish tournaments on the texas coast no moss um the um big marlin tournaments in the gulf of mexico all of those things are wild, technically wildlife killing contests because there is a prize associated with entering uh someone wins money and i have no issue with those those uh 
contest, to be frank. Um, I don't see anything unethical. I mean, there's really nothing about them that strikes me as negative. Um, they're not, I don't think those contests are out there putting out a, a negative message, a negative representation of the hunting community. But under this umbrella, wildlife killing contest, they're part of that. That, that's a fair critique of my post and of Project Coyote uh, and honestly something I, I've never thought about. Um, and like I, I admit that what I said was probably hasty and um, there, there's legitimate fault in what I said. I think personally, are you asking how I personally feel about those things? Well, I mean, yeah, I, you can respond. Yes, yeah, sure. I'm just telling you my, my, you know, that just making that connection that wildlife killing contest encompasses all of those things. Yeah. Turkey. I mean, there's Turkey competitions that people participate in longest beard, longest spurs. Okay. Those people are eating those turkeys. They're not doing anything wrong. They're just, you know, entering a contest. So you can get the biggest one. People like big bass. They like big bucks. Um, I don't see a problem with rewarding or even paying hom homage to the biggest one that was killed in that year or that region or whatever. Yeah, I don't either. I don't either. I, I think what separates a lot of these contests though, from the predator killing contests is that, I mean, if you ask the bill fishermen, it is almost like a angel come down from earth. That is a billfish. I mean, they, they might kill one every few years. They're for damn sure going to eat every single ounce of it. There is so much respect that goes towards those animals. And I think that that's also similar to the big buck contest. Uh, the bass fishing contest, those are catch and release. Right. And I, I don't see the respect in these predator killing contests. And for reasons that I've said, I think that they're really, really bad for the reputation of hunters and, and for, for hunter recruitment. I would say this to those guys. Um, and I think they could, I'm not going to tell them not to do it. And I'm, I'm clearly, you know, we're still going to agree to disagree on this topic, but I would advise them or like to see them maybe just be a little more tasteful and, you know, the, the presentation, how they're portraying themselves. Uh, if you want to get paid to go shoot 50 Fox, fine, do it. I'm all for it. Maybe don't put that photo, maybe post here's the biggest Fox that we killed. Um, or here's the biggest bobcat instead of a stack of five or six. I don't know. Uh, I'm not going to tell them not to do what they're doing um, as I take no issue with it. But social media is a, uh, a powerful weapon that can be used in your favor or against you personally or as a, as a hunting community. Uh, so I just think people do need to be cognizant of that. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I, and you know, the hard thing is, is I have good friends that do these predator contests and they called me and they're like, what the f masters? Like, what are you doing? And I, you know, I, I run around with a circle that's pretty diverse. I have a lot of friends that don't hunt. Uh, I've had a lot of films do pretty well in like the wildlife filmmaking community. And I've gotten to go to uh, you know, Q and A's across the world. And something that I'm, that I'm always battling against with different environmentalist organizations is they try to paint these hunters into a box. And I feel like I'm always defending how much money hunters put into conservation, how much money they put into habitat and trying to explain that, you know, most hunters, you know, they take a tremendous amount of respect for their game. They eat all of it. And whenever I see stuff like this, like the predator hunting contests, 
it's just so hard to defend. And like whenever I made that post, I I see where you're coming from on like how I'm a piece of that didn't do his research. But the way that I worded it is that please don't allow this to represent most hunters because a lot of the people who are followers for me, they, they don't hunt. They, they don't know our ethical standards. They don't understand how many millions of dollars we put into conservation. So that was the intent to tell the non-hunting community, please don't uh, think that this is representative of all of us. And I agree with you that the, the predator killing competitions, they, they should be cognizant of the fact that there's a lot of people that aren't in the hunting community that don't know hunters that see those kind of images and they think to our, they think to themselves like, oh, that must that must be all hunters. And that's kind of who I was trying to reach with that post. Well, and I guarantee you, Camilla Fox is one of those people who probably saw one of those images at one point in time. I was like, what are these people doing? And, yeah, and um, then the next thing you know, here we have Project Coyote and her going to state wildlife uh, boards and and sitting in these meetings and having her voice heard, uh, trying to outlaw the contest. And, you know, if she gets that done, then I, she's the same as Felipe. Just we'll move on to the next thing, which is we'll, we'll cross off uh, hound hunting for bears or whatever it is. So, know, so. so a question that I have for you is in the hunting community, which I like, I'm a hunter. I don't consider myself nearly as in the hunting community as you do, mm. but like, I'm more of like the wildlife filmmaker conservation, but I totally recognize the importance of hunting. How, how do we have these conversations about these predator killing contests that well, I are think two that guys are, start yelling at each other on Instagram. And then here we go. <laughs> i mean that's the that seems to be what's worked for uh, for this situation yeah um because they are that they are tough conversations and even though we'd still we we don't agree uh we've heard each other out and i think there's certainly uh respect there um yeah. so i i think the conversations are important and i guess like what you said uh, and and i'm not privy to these privy to these behind the scenes meetings that these organizations are having maybe those should be in the public eye more because I don't know that they're going on in pro hunting circles. Right. Um, so I don't know what, I, what is your advice there? What are your thoughts? I don't have a good answer for you. Yeah. I, other than that, social media is a terrible place for the world and an awful thing to have a nuanced conversation. It's so uh, weird because you and I both make part of a living of, of promoting our, our, work on social media but how would in a heartbeat go back 20 years and try to make a living doing this without it uh certainly you're you're a dad as well I, my kids are eight six and six they're not allowed to be on social media obviously and um I, i'm afraid for the time that they are going to be on social media because it is a terrible it's a catch-22 <laughs> you know yeah, it is. I mean, there's, it can do a lot of good and it can do a lot of terrible things. And I mean, the amount of death threats that I got from social media after stating publicly that I think that wild horses should be euthanized. I mean, it took me into a dark place and I was a 28 year old man that, you know, I'm fairly confident in who I am and what I believe in. 
And I can't even imagine, you know, what some of these teenagers are going to when people start trolling them and like talking shit and having entire groups going after people. So mm-hmm. yeah, my girl's seven, seven months old and she's not getting social media. For a while. <laughs> yeah. It's a different time yeah. from when, when we grew up and that I'm not saying it's a better time. So, um, uh, you just got to make the one, most of what you have. One thing that I've definitely learned from you is be very, very, very careful who you align yourself with. Right. And the fact that I promoted project coyote without really understanding that organization, um, you know, that, that, that's a legitimate criticism that you, that you have of me. Well, I mean, I think we all have those moments, Ben, and, and the fact that you see it, I mean, it, it tells me a lot more about your character in a good way. Um, but I mean, I've had those moments and one that comes to mind was probably, oh, I don't know, early on in my career. Um, it was on the heels of a mass shooting most likely. And, I made a suggestion of, hey, maybe we should just raise the the minimum age to purchase a rifle or, or a shotgun to 21. And, oh, my God, the blowback. And then I thought about it. And I was like, you know what? Yeah, there is no room. Much like uh, my thoughts on hunting, there's there's no budge. Um, it's black and white on the, on the Second Amendment. And so uh, you're either in or you're out. And so I'm all in. Yeah, I mean – Again, after I straight up called you a coward for having a private page, <laughs> the fact that yeah. you're even willing to talk to me at all is is uh, amazing. But man, I'm like like I said earlier, I really enjoyed having our preliminary discussion, and I think this is a great format to have nuanced conversations. So I do uh, think uh, long long form podcasting is is a place for these conversations, and the popularity of of uh, talk format obviously is has never been higher so uh maybe that's the answer to your question yeah is, uh, well next time next time before i troll you i'm gonna call you first and tell you <laughs> hey i mean i drew you off sides first so it's you know you just responded uh no no worries there man well hey i certainly appreciate the time ben and um yeah i look forward to uh the next time we sit down and visit yeah it sounds or, or share an elk camp or whatever it is yeah sign me up all right, there he goes, wildlife filmmaker, hunter, conservationist, uh, Ben Masters. And uh, yeah, I was a little tepid about having Ben on. Uh, but once we had, a, like he like he just alluded to, our, our preliminary discussion, I think we both felt at ease. And uh, I think it was a great conversation, to be frank. Um, we don't have to see eye to eye, but understanding where we're coming from, each other are coming from, certainly important uh, on that front. So hope you all enjoyed it as well. That segment of the show was brought to you by Rustic Reminders Taxidermy with locations in Marion and San Antonio, Texas. Josh and Becky Gunther have been taking care of me for a long time. If it's uh, a lynx that uh, I snared in Canada or a speckled trout I caught on the coast, which of course I would have released, uh, but they did an amazing replica. Whitetail, African safaris, you name it, they do it all. They do amazing work with quick turnaround time, and they answer the phone when I call. You can find them at gr8mounts.com. Unfortunately, we are out of time. Got to go. Got to get out of here. Next week, we've got uh, Nick Munt lined up from Bone Collector. So certainly looking forward to that. Uh, Thanks to all of our sponsors for making this show possible. Thanks to you, the listener. 
for being a part of SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show. Until then, I'm Cable Smith saying y'all have a great week in the outdoors. 